Yeah, there's something that like, I don't know, it's the like older we get syndrome too. I'm like, I'm not that desperate. I'm not going to chase you. I'm not going to chase anybody. I don't chase right? anybody. Oh, hold on. Since the episode we thought we would talk about the queen today, I thought I would shut the fuck up. Where damn this is my this is a crown felix pointed out that this is not a tiara my tiara hangs out in my car because just in case i need it it's on my rear view mirror but this is my crown and so i thought i'd wear it for a little while it's really fucking heavy so i'm not gonna lie i'm a little bit i'm a little bit jealous yeah you know when i was a kid i always wanted a tiara literally i never had a tiara until i won a tiara so i feel like it's good that i earned my tiara and actually what's funny about this crown is this i won in a show in dc and at that particular show bodybuilding show so you do prejudging and then prejudging is like where the decisions are made and then finals is where awards are given so i noticed that all the girls were wearing tiaras for finals. And so this particular show, they it's not every show, but this particular show, they gave everybody a tiara to wear during finals. But I'm in fitness division and we do all flips and shit. So they didn't give me one because they assumed I would not wear it during finals during my routine, which of course I did not. But I went up and asked one of the presenters. I was like, I see everybody's wearing tiaras. Like, can I please have a tiara? <laughs> And she's like, oh, my God, of course. So then I got a tiara. But then la- but she said later that she was laughing because she knew that I was getting this crown later. Oh, my God. Oh, my overalls. God. Oh, my God. Yeah. By the way, the show has started because Rachel <laughs> Pitts is in the house. So it's a rogue episode. Welcome to the women your mother warned you about. Brought to you by Sales Gravy. You know me, Gina Tremarco, master sales trainer for Sales Gravy. Rachel former sales master sales trainer and former co-host but now i think that what you said before we started was yeah okay i see for those watching on youtube those not watching on youtube you need to check in and see the (laughs) not just the crown on rachel's head but the animal heads behind her i like the background trophies trophies all around i like the trophies for a trophy wife i know i can say that to you it's okay oh okay you just you kill me side note me this thing is heavy and you can't wear it for long although i did wear it on the plane the like i wore it through the airport and on the plane on the way home of course you did i because why could you not how could you not how could you not i would probably if i saw you tackle you and take it to wear it who doesn't like a crown speaking of crowns what a great segue what a great segue that we're going to get into because of the crown but before we do that i do want to share something that came to me in the past 10 minutes that i think is going to be a bit on this show called how did gina fail this week failing forward with gina (laughs) failing forward with Gina because I'm on this kick about failure. I've always been on the kick that failure is funny, but I'm on this kick about being conditioned for failure because there's a reward usually in the comedy world. I'm going to share this before we segue because I started to tell you this before we started to record. So (laughs) I'm in prospecting mode and I saw an old client of mine from before sales gravy days post something on LinkedIn. I'm like, Oh, what is he up to? I'm like, 
gosh, I need to reach out to him because his industry is an industry I'm targeting. Well, he's in the franchise world. And then he started a new franchise. He's a franchisor, started a new franchise in a different industry that I have a lot of experience in now. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I got to reach out to him. So I go to text him this morning. (laughs) And all of a sudden I noticed that my message was attached to about 15 pictures from my phone. Regina's boudoir shoot. (laughs) Sometimes I worry that I might send my boudoir shoot to the wrong person. I I like always. My boudoir shoot is nowhere on my camera, so we're safe. Okay. We're safe there. Right. Uh, and my husband would kill me. So he's so conservative. So I love him, but he would kill me. So um, so I send the, these 15 pictures. I'm like, God. And I was so, what met, were the pictures? I was trying to send these pictures to someone else. <laughs> okay. So they were pictures of dresses. And not necessarily the dresses I would ever really wear. They were dresses that were ideas for a show I'm performing in called The Awesome 80s Prom. And so, you know, we're still in rehearsals and we're trying to get dress ideas for my character. So I literally send him all these pictures and the message was like, hey, you know, saw you on LinkedIn, made me think of you, thought I'd reach out with all these pictures, right? And now I go on my iPhone and I'm adapting to the iPhone. I'm like, I know I can unsend all these messages. So I try to go unsend the photos and it unsends the written message, but not the photos. So now it's just photos. I'm like, there's gotta be a way, you know, and you see it's delivered and I go back in and I can unsend the photos one at a time. Which I do. 15. (laughs) Yep. And I had sent a subsequent message. It was like, oh my gosh, did not mean to send you these pictures. Uh, I hope I get your attention. And then he's like, I didn't see the first message. All I got were pictures. I'm not sure what you're trying to tell me. I literally wish that you had been like, well, since we're already here, <laughs> which one was your favorite? Do you like the blue one or the red one more? <laughs> you know... But I think it makes a really good point of sometimes you just have to laugh at your mistakes and just it shows that you're human and you're fallible and like you're not perfect. And that's been that was kind of like one of the premises originally for this show is like you don't have to be perfect. You can actually be real. People actually like the real. And and I just bust out laughing and <laughs> wait until I tell David, he's going to be like, what? Oh, so, so the client, former client, hopefully to be a re-engaged client, he's like, ha ha, how are you? Here's my new email. Clearly, I'm a little bit overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, so anyway, that is my fun fail. That's what I'm going to call it. The fun fail. That is fun fail. The fun fail of the week with Gina. So now getting back to the crown, this is something that we've been wanting to talk to, which is I'll let you I'll let you say it. Well, we started talking about discussing Queen Elizabeth, who just recently passed. And I just read a 
I think it was a 21 hour audiobook on her life. And I find her to just be such a fascinating character in history for so many reasons. You know, a lot of people love to follow the royal family just because they're so glamorous and interesting. But I started getting fascinated with her actually because of her stoicism, which was talked about in one of Ryan Holiday's books. Can't remember which one, but he gets really into uh, Queen Elizabeth's stoicism. And that's what really fascinated me about her. Like, number one, that she never granted a public interview ever in what was it, like 70 some years of ruling, which was the longest reign in history, I believe. I'm not, my facts are all sloppy, so just there's my disclaimer. Oh, I, well, but, I'm a monarchy crazy person. I watch everything monarchy, British monarchy related, but go on. I'll help you fill in the blanks. Thank you. Well, I found her to be just so fascinating. And then I read, the, I listened to the audiobook, and it was fabulous. It was so lovely because the woman who was the narrator was British, of course. So she'd say things like schedule, and I just <laughs> found it so, so jolly. Oh, and one thing that I found, <laughs> A really quick tip that in regards to these bucks back here that my husband killed, the queen was a huge hunter. They yeah. call it stalking in England. They don't call it hunting. They call it stalking, which is Wow, you can get arrested. Stalking. You can get arrested for that here. Yep. And the queen was really into stalking. That was never really publicized because she didn't want people to think, you know, violently of her. And there was actually one thing later in the book, like later in history that Parliament, I think, was trying to outlaw fox hunting because of, you know, PETA was after them and all that. But she was like, you know, it's not just a it's not just a like a high class sport. A lot of people just like to do because I, I believe that Jeb likes to do. Fox oh, hunting. my gosh. Yeah. Jeb is like the but she defended it in the fact that, you know, hunting is a sport that all classes like to participate in. So she was really into stalking. And she was really into horses in general. She rode horses up until she would ride daily, like almost till the very end of her life. At the end, she would have someone with her, but she was very adept at riding. Mm -hmm. And she was very passionate about horse racing, even though she never was allowed to bet. She was super like, you know, the scene in Pretty Woman where Julia mm -hmm, Roberts like mm -hmm. gets up and whoa. Like she was very much like that. You can see footage of her at the queen when she was at horse races. Now she owned a bunch of horses too. And then she would make a huge profit when they would win, but she never gambled. Maybe she's related Allegedly. to, maybe Jeb Blunt's related to her. Possibly. He's got all, the he's, I lost track of how many horses he has, but between the horses and the fox hunting. Like I had actually, I went and witnessed they do like this happens. I forget what they call it. It's like in November in Thompson, Georgia. I've witnessed them, you know, him like get go out on the hunt to kick off. I don't know what you call it. Jeb will correct me. Kick off the hunt. And they're all in their red coats and all the dogs come running out and leading them on the hunt. It's a, it's pretty, it's pretty cool and ceremonial and traditional. Mm -hmm. And uh, the queen I love and. Everything monarchy related is fascinating. I've watched everything I could watch on all the things, Netflix and Amazon Prime. And, you know, then I started to get into the other, like just the whole succession. Then I will get on my like on Google and be like, what happened to that queen? Like, you know, the winds in the world and um, the Mary Queen of Scots and just the whole history. And then King Henry's daughter and well, which was 
Anne Boleyn's daughter. Just all of it is so fascinating to me, like the rules, like all the rules that pertain to like, oh, my God, there's a the firstborn is a daughter. There must be King Henry was famous for this, like, OK, it's, it's not a it's not a boy. How do I get rid of this queen to bring another queen in until I get a male heir? And he never got a male heir. No, never. What's interesting about that and being a. Well, he did. He did. He had a bastard heir. I'm sorry. He did. And actually, so I'm homeschooling my daughter right now. So I just did all of this history with King Henry VIII. And, you know, he actually invented the Church of England because he wanted to divorce his first wife because he didn't. Which was inspired, which was inspired by the second wife, Anne Boleyn. Yeah. Because she was a little bit of a heretic. Yeah. It's super fascinating at that time period. So then. When Queen Henry, King Henry VIII died, he had a son who was, uh, I forget, I think it was maybe one of the Charles. He was king for just a hot second and then he died. Then that's when Mary, Queen of Scots, came back in. Now, she was a Catholic. She is the one that is known as Bloody Mary. So yes. she, at the time, the England was Ch- Protestant, Church of England. She was like, nope, we're going back to be Catholics. And she went around and started slaughtering all these people who were Protestants. So hence Bloody Mary. Yeah. And it was a really crazy time. She took Queen Elizabeth the first. She was like, maybe I'll kill her because she's a threat. And then she's like, eh, maybe I won't. And she put her up and locked her in this tower. Yeah. yeah. And so Queen Elizabeth the first took advantage of this opportunity slash, you know, horrible sentence, but better than death. She just got really smart. She studied and studied. And then when Mary, Queen of Scots, I think she died. I forget if she died or was murdered, whatever. Well, when Queen Elizabeth I came to power and had this really long, illustrious reign of the Elizabethan age, as we know it, she changed everything back to the Church of England again. But she chose to be tolerant of Catholics. She's like, I'm not going to kill you all. We're just going to be the Church of England. And from then on, it was Church of England. But so what was really interesting about her is she was a really powerful queen. She never married, but she used that to her advantage. By oh, like yes, she did. She'd like let people think she was going to marry them, but then she wouldn't. But she wanted and she to leveraged it. it. She leveraged she it for power. She was smart. She was so smart and so influential, like the fashion and all the things. But what I found interesting, and my daughter did a paper on this, did an assignment, was she didn't really... Even though she did a lot to prove that a woman could be a powerful ruler, she didn't do a lot to advance the rights of women at the time because they were still, you know, they had no rights. So it was interesting. No, it was an interesting was, dichotomy. She was, she was fighting for herself, right? Uh-huh. And and the segue too, we still experience this today. I yeah. think with women, we become, well, not you and I, but many women become so protective of advancing and fearful of it. So they're not going to be as helpful in advancing other women. Right on. <laughs> that we'll get back to that. How about that? Yeah, we're so going to, we'll, so yeah, then that. we'll Queen, be back to that. Yeah. Yeah, we will. So Queen Elizabeth II, she actually, you know, her dad was, you know, it was a long line of male rulers mm-hmm. and her dad came into power. If you know the story of like basically, you probably remember the names better than me, but Queen Elizabeth's father get, came into power when his brother abdicated. Correct. Because he was wanted to marry a divorced woman who was also right. a Nazi sympathizer, which was also kind of crazy. Right. But he abdicated 
So then Philip, is it Philip, her dad? Rena Liz's dad? No, it's George. We sound yeah. smart for the most part. Yeah. But I think, anyway, I think it's Queen George. Elizabeth's dad. He was the one. There's a really great movie about him overcoming his stutter. It's called The King's Speech, I think. Yeah, yeah. Really mm-hmm. so good. So Elizabeth knew quite young that she was in line. And so what I found really interesting is she was really, Winston Churchill made comments that she was a very like, from the beginning, from even infancy, she had something about her, like a real wisdom. And so she started studying really early with a lot of tutors. She studied multiple languages. She started studying the the British constitution, which is a lot more complicated and like a lot more gray areas than the American constitution. She just got very smart not knowing that she would end up, her father died somewhat young and she ended up coming to the throne at age 25. Yeah. But she was preparing her whole life. No. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's wise. Like I was thinking about this morning that, you know, just think for all business people, anybody out there, entrepreneurs, prepare yourself. You don't know when your moment's going to come. So prepare yourself as if. It's a really good point because you might think you're destined for one thing as she did originally as a young girl, right? She was, she was, I don't want to say nowhere near. She was in line, right? As the lines work, but her dad was the spare, right? And then he became the heir, which then put her in direct line, but that wasn't the original plan. And right to your point, be prepared for the unexpected opportunity of greatness. And with that also comes a lot of responsibility, stress. She went through a lot, especially as a woman. And if you go back and read any of the history of like, even with the previous Queen Elizabeth who locked up Mary, they were trying to kill her. There were conspiracies of like, we got to get rid of this woman so we could put this guy in place. For sure. Right. There was how do you succeed as a woman when you know they don't want you to? Now they're probably not going to kill you off today like they did back then. Yeah, but, but they there's, try figuratively though. They do. Like they try it still happens. And we're not generalizing this, everybody, about all people, but we still have it still exists. Yeah. It definitely still exists that women, if you look at the statistics, actually, I was looking at some sort of statistic with Roxy the other day, my daughter, that like the fact that there's still a lot less female CEOs of major corporations. Yeah. And most of the major corporations that do have female CEOs are exponentially growing. Like this, it was a really interesting little graph we were looking at. I'm like, oh, yeah. So women are pulling, they're pulling along. We're coming along. It's advancing. A couple more hundred years. Perhaps. Eh. Well, and another thing that's interesting about the crown that I found so fascinating throughout the reading this book, it was um, Sally Bettle Smith's book, I believe is her, the author's name, really thorough, is that the crown, the queen didn't actually hold very much power. They don't have a lot of power, the crown, but they have so much influence. Like she couldn't actually make laws or even suggest right. really i know she i think she had the power to or the royal family has the power to appoint the prime minister then the prime minister and parliament take care of all the rest but right aside from that it's just a matter of influence and queen elizabeth ii was so good at it like not telling anybody what to do but so adeptly 
being influential on the decision-making process. Yeah. And being stuck in, I don't want to say, I don't know if there's a better word for stuck. She had to make a lot of hard decisions, a lot of hard decisions, especially when it came to family, right? When it came to her sister, when it came to her children, when it came to her grandchildren, she had to make a lot of hard decisions. You're kind of almost superhuman. You're still a mom, you're still a grandmother, and you're this ruler. And how do you keep that objectivity? Just think about that in leadership in general, right? Like there's a difference of, you know, I like you as a human if I'm like your leader or your manager, and I do have to make hard decisions that I have to hand down to you. It's not personal, it's business, right? I ran into that when I was running my theater. Sometimes people would come to me and be like, I'm just, are we friends or am I one of your instructors or am I one? Like, I just don't know. I go, you're always my friend. And at the end of the day, this is a company that I run and I have to make business decisions and it's not personal. It may feel personal, but it's not. Please respect the process. Please respect the crown. Mm, speaking of the crown, this thing is heavy. I was so, just going to say. As a note, I got to take it off. But as a note, the crown that the queen wore in her coronation, that was a really interesting part of the book. It's 40 pounds. And so she practiced for like weeks. So even Prince Charles has not been coronated. He has, his coronation's in May, I believe. So there's a time period between, you know, someone passing away and the actual mm-hmm. coronation. Immediately upon the predecessor's death, the person becomes... Yeah, the, but they're the, not coordinated. They don't right do the, the ceremony, yeah. the big drama. But so the queen had to practice, you know, holding this thing on her head, staying straight, not letting it fall off, holding the scepter and the orb and all the things that they do. And it's like there's a big there was a lot of rehearsal. <laughs> That's and a lot. That's also a lot of attention on you. A lot. And so what you know, I believe that the queen was when she was still princess, she was in Africa hunting. When her father died, she literally was out in Africa and upon it, like, even though it was an emotional moment and she shows this throughout her, her reign, she had to like have a moment, pull herself together and immediately started writing letters and doing what she needed to do because she knew she was queen is upon his death. And that happened. There was a, the, of course, you know, the Princess Diana section of the book was really interesting. And I was really curious about that. And like the moment that Diana passed in the car crash, um, she was on vacation in her vacation house and she didn't come back to Buckingham Palace for quite a while. And her reason for that was that And people criticized her. Yeah, I remember that. But the reason for that is she chose to stay with her grandsons at first. Um, Until, I guess, they came back to, she returned to Buckingham Palace for the funeral. She got a lot of flack for that, but she did choose family. Now, she didn't always choose family. And Charles kind of criticized her for that because she, you know... She, I forget the phrase. I think it was like, not you or not yet. Like she, when she would be separated from him when he was a child, she would have to do her duty first. Like she placed her duty first, almost always. In the instance of Diana, she placed her children, her grandchildren first. But like she would come, there was an instance where she had been separated from her children for a while, for a pretty long stretch. And when she first came back, 
she first greeted the dignitaries and said, not you, not yet to Charles. And then she got to him when it wasn't like normally like how I would be if I hadn't seen my kid in a long time. I would immediately see my like go hug my kid first. That's just not how it's not she just was yeah. Trained. And just imagine as a child, it's hard to take that as a child, and that's going to have an impact on you as an adult because you don't understand it as a child. That's a whole nother. That's a Pandora's, whole, whole other thing. That's a whole other Pandora's <laughs> box. But I do want to talk about this, you know, women helping women thing because I think I brought this up to you earlier about. We were talking about a situation and a situation that I ran into where I had to coach a couple women on some issues and women sometimes aren't so great at helping each other because they're fearful about this is just what I've experienced. Obviously, this is not everybody. They're fearful about giving out too much information or hacks or advice on how they got to where they got to other women because like I've literally heard like, well, I had to, I had to work really hard to get there and everybody should have to work really hard to get there. And I don't want to have to give that. I don't want to give away my secrets. What do you think of that? Well, I think that what I have found in my studies and what I have found in actual reality is if you approach someone, and this is actually a mental management fact as well, If you find someone who you view as already having arrived at where you'd like to be, so to speak, someone who's already made it in your field or industry or pursuit or sport, if you approach a super high achiever and ask them for advice, a lot of the really good ones will give it to you. They'll tell you exactly their secrets. All day long, yeah. All day, they'll tell you, oh, totally, you need to do this and this and this. Now, the reason that that they'll do that. And I do it. I tell people all the time, I really don't, I'm not going to come to the gym and count your reps. And I will tell you exactly what you need to start with. You know, they can't get start where I'm at in my sport. They need to start where they're at. The reason for this is that you can find out the secrets. You can buy the, a book from your favorite mentor and you're going to get the secrets. The secrets are not a guarantee for your success. The secrets yeah. are, oh, here's totally what you need to do. And does that mean that you're going to do it if I tell you my secrets? Does that mean that it's instantly going to catapult you to success? No, you still have to do the hard work. You still have to take the advice and put it into action. And I think that's what um, some women seem to fear is that if they give, like, if I give you my secrets, then you're suddenly going to take my business. And that's absolutely not true because everything is built on no like and trust. Like my husband actually does this a lot. He's told me this secret about himself is he'll give you what he'll send you to the person you need to talk to. He'll tell, give you the advice. He'll be like, dude, you don't want to do this deal. Like he, he is straight up honest because he knows that it's a relationship business and every business is a relationship business. You can't just have a tool in your toolbox that's going to immediately make someone know, like, and trust you. You still have to use that tool to help fix the situation, right? So I definitely think that giving away helps someone go in the right direction, but it's not going to 
advance that person. It's on the right path. It's I don't think it's going to I guess it's perspective of how you look at it. I'm a big believer in karma. And um, someone taught me this many years ago. He called it business tithing. Right. So if you think about tithing in a church, right, where you give 10 percent of your money to the church. This was an executive coach who had this concept of business tithing 10 percent. He gave away 10 percent of his time to business owners to help them, right? Because in a, and bring that back, bring that full circle to Bob Berg talking about the giver's game, right? Same concept. You give it, it comes back in some way, shape, or form at some point. Yep. If you stay in the mindset of abundance versus the mindset of scarcity, what am I going to lose by doing this? Now, I'm not saying high performers are also really busy. Do I have time to sit down and give you free coaching for an hour? No. Do I have five minutes to say, try these three things? Yes. Right? I can do that. Or I can send you a quick email and be like, here's what I think you should do since you asked. But I'm not going to do the whole strategy for you. And I'm not going to do the work for you. And like you said, like any thought leader who has written a book like Jeb Blunt, right? Who has a training company. People read the book. You could actually read the books and accomplish the work. Yeah. But and many, Jeff does ex- he does exactly what he says in the books. He does. He still does it even at his, the level he's at. Yes. He still does it. And the things that the book is there. So you could go take, you could read the book and you can have your team read the books and that will bring you solution. The reality is, as humans, we need more than the book. We need more than the free advice. Right. So this is why training companies like ours work, because it takes the book to the next level of curriculum, of training, of coaching to push you along the way. So I just wanted to touch on that, of how important it is to be in that mindset of And it's not just about supporting women, too. It's about supporting each other in general. Like my other, you know, co-host. I forget. What's your title? I just, I'm recovering former co-host. Recovering (laughs) former co-host. And Jeff Bajoric gets to be fractional co-host. I love it. Right? Like, he's the same mindset, too. He's the dude, right? So it doesn't have to be just women. I think we should just all be in a giving mindset because it comes back to us. So two things on that. Number one, if you're hoarding your tricks and tips, like if you're hoarding your secrets, like think about what hoarding is. It's fear-based. You're hoarding because you're afraid of something, whether it be someone taking your business or whatever. Like it's a fear-based action. So there's that. So Mm -hmm. in one more thing that I just had a group coaching call for the mental management coaches with Lanny Basham, who created mental management. And he was talking about you can get information from someone like here are my secrets, but it's not necessarily going to lead to transformation. Yes. So here are the five things that you need in order to have transformation. Lay it on us. Number one is you need the information. So you need to get the information. Number two is you need application by an expert who would be the person that's providing the information. They're proving to you that this information does work because they've applied the information. The next thing you need is confirmation. 
Like you need a coach, which leads to consultation. You need confirmation that you're doing what you need to do. You need consultation with a good coach, like Gina, example, (laughs) that's saying, hey, yep, you're doing this right. Here's what you might want to think about to add to that and to improve upon it. And then you need repetition. Reps, reps. So information, application by an expert, confirmation that you are, in fact, on the right path, consultation from the right coach to help make sure that you're you're continuing on the right path and not going after a squirrel, and repetition, repetition. And repetition is what gets everybody, it gets every successful person where they are, whether it's Jeb's repetition of all of the actions that he talks about in his multiple books, whether it's repetition of me in the gym doing reps and reps, you know, it's repetition of getting on the phone and utilizing the framework that works. It's repetition of getting in front of the same client multiple times so they learn to know, like, and trust you. But don't send them 15 pictures of dresses. Not advisable. Does that count as 15 touch points? I wonder. Anyway, <laughs> it definitely touches as one big one, one memorable one. Shock and awe. Shock and awe. <laughs> <laughs> repetition you know right now my big repetition is constantly following up on pending deals stalled deals almost every other day with some of these and you got to keep in mind that sometimes salespeople are like I don't want to feel like I'm bothering someone people actually want to be bothered especially if you're in the middle of a sales process with them, right? They like they've raised their hand. They've said yes, I'm interested. They've said yes to what you had to show them. They said yes to moving it forward to either a person or getting to an agreement, you know, getting to ink. And but they don't do it immediately. And that's because so much comes up in their world and and we have to stay open and empathetic to that that I think I came up with this phrase the other day when I was training. Your need to sell is not their need to buy, right? In that moment, it's just not. They want it, but they're busy. And so staying in front of them, like what Jeb says, a rat on a Cheeto, they become thankful for it. Like, oh my gosh, thank you. I know I got to make this happen. Yeah, I know. I know we got to do this. I'm like, you said you went training to start in April. I'm like, we're almost not going to be able to do it. Okay, 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 okay. You're right. Well, I'm going to bring up a real life situation that happened with me just this week. And I'll be a little bit slightly vague about it because it's something new that I'm embarking upon. But oh, the yes. sales in terms of the sales process, oh yes, I'll remind you salespeople out there that sometimes the prospect has these fears and they just need to talk it out with you. So I have been I'm still I'm not I haven't closed on this deal yet, but I'm in the I'm in the process with a salesperson. Basically, he's a salesperson. And the last time I got on the phone with him, I said to him, okay, I'm just going to tell you that today I'm going to be that prospect that's waffling and scared and unsure, and I just need to talk it out. So just keep in mind that sometimes maybe like you as the salesperson are afraid or afraid of success or failure, whatever it is, or like bothering this prospect or annoying them. But I really needed to like talk it out with this person and talk through my fears. And and ultimately, because I was so grateful, like I sent him a message, I thanked him so many times, like, thank you so much for being patient with me. 
and talking this out with me because I just need like most of the time, like you just said, Gina, if someone raises their hand and they have something, they have a problem and you have the solution, they're going to have their reasons. Like I need to talk to my husband. It costs too much. I'm afraid I'm going to fail. You know, I don't know if I have time. This not like all the things. Sometimes they just need you as the salesperson are the one person who can understand that they still need this solution and they want to talk it out and you're the person that can help them. Yeah. And what a gift you gave that salesperson because most buyers don't come to the table and be like, okay, I want this, but I'm fearful of this and this, right? Like that takes a lot of emotional intelligence, right? There are some people that are that internally know that's what's going on. And then there are some people that just are having a fight or flight reaction, but they don't know why because they haven't done the work to figure it out and process it. So that's a gift to the salesperson for you as a buyer to go do that, right? Because I would have been like, oh man, this is a thank you. I can turn that around. I can turn around your fear. This is thank you for the gift. Yeah. And some people, so, you know, I thought about ghosting him because I was like, oh, God, I have all this anxiety and fear and like, but I'm just I'm going to talk to him. I need to talk to him. He's the one person. And as I was talking to him, I was literally saying, I know how this sounds. It's like totally fear of failure, even though I know like my heart wants this. My head is saying, oh, you can't do this. You're just going to fail at this, too, like all the time. Like so it, it was a really great conversation because I just kind of talked through it and he guided me through it. He ended up like sweetening the deal a little bit, which I had like knowing sales. I've sort of wondered if he would, but I wasn't banking on it. It wasn't part of my decision making process. It was nice. But, you know, there the, a lot of times you do have that leverage as a salesperson. If you have a prospect who's waffling and they're honest and can tell you what they're waffling about, then you can sweeten the deal in whatever way it is. If it's somebody that worries they don't have enough time, you can offer them some time management solutions. If they're worried that it costs too much, you can sweeten the deal a little. You know, it is an important thing. And I think both sides, whether you're the prospect or the salesperson, it's that fear of maybe what's going to happen that holds people back from even the follow-up of like, oh God, this person... You know, that's what I'm trying to get at is like when you when you got back on the phone with him, had you already conferred with your investor? No. Okay, so you had not conferred with them yet. Okay, so so okay, I wanted to know that. I find it also interesting, right? Like he had a fallback in mind, which was to sweeten the pot the way he did. And a thing I think he missed in the step is that you probably were going to spend the original price. Oh, yeah. But he left money on the table because he discounted it right away, in a way. Right. Right. He gave you an additional discount, which salespeople have to be careful with because in some ways it's like, oh, really? Okay. It was actually less, but you kind of were trying to get the most out of me, which we are trying to get the most out of the deal. Like, there's no doubt about that. But what he missed, I think is going back to the beginning of the conversation of why you wanted what he was selling. And to oh, remind yeah. you that like, like that would help dissipate the fear of like, 
totally get it that you're fearful. Let's go back and talk about why you were interested in this in the first place. And these were the things that you shared with me about doing this and why you wanted to do it, right? Like I do this when I'm selling coaching. Like why is coaching important to you? Why now? Right. And I let them open up and talk about it. And then when they get fearful of the spend, which is really fearful, will will they do the work? I go back to them like, all right, remember when you said these things were important to you and that you know that the only way to get to where you need to get is through coaching. Like you decided that before we even started talking. Remember that? Right. I will go back and repeat all of that to help dissipate the fear before I'm going to discount. And I'm not going to discount just for the record, everybody, because the price that the investment for our coaching is uh, a huge value, competitively priced. There's no, we're just not, we're not going to discount it, period, end of story, with where we're at. So I think he left some money on the table. So don't let him him listen to this. (laughs) Well, he probably did, but... I'm glad he did. But, you know, in the end, it really wasn't necessarily my deciding factor. And you make a good point is to really be sure you listen to your prospect because my deciding factor was kind of more fear. You know, the financial aspect wasn't really a big deal. It was more like I, for whatever reason, didn't believe in myself enough until we talked it out. That's usually the case. And a lot of times, and even whenever I first committed with you, (laughs) <laughs> which is a great, always a great story. It's it's the fear of if I invest this amount, like the inherent fear that people have is if I invest this amount of money, am I actually going to get return on investment? Can I actually take this, all of these secrets that I'm paying to learn and apply them so that I can have the success that I envision? And the important thing also is to like begin with the end in mind. Now, the latest book that I am reading, actually it was free on Audible, is the way of the seals. So the guy is doing all this Mm. training on thinking like a Navy SEAL. But he talks about, and we do this in mental management as well, visualizing how it's going to look. Visualizing like if, how is it going to look after you do this thing, this training, this coaching, this whatever, in one year when you have, if you have it exactly how it's how you would dream of it, like this raging successful business, maybe even three years, maybe even maybe it's six months. Like, how is that going to look and start actively visualizing that? Because then your brain works towards that brain mm-hmm. also work. If, if you stay in that scarcity, fear mentality, that's what your brain works on. And it continually yeah, yeah. like yeah. reinforces that you can't do this. And if you think that you can or you think that you can't, you're right. <laughs> Yeah, it's a huge. It's it's true. What's the name of the book? The Way of the Seal. Mark Devine. Really great. He taught. It's very much training for leadership. The way that the Navy SEALs train. It's great. It's like not like the Mandalorian. This is the way. No, it's really great leadership training. Also, like talking about the fact that if you want to be a leader, even so, say you're in a corporate environment and you'd like to be a leader one day. Well, even if you're you know, filing papers and like, like if you're at the bottom of the rung, you have to start acting like a leader now. Because if you don't... 100, yeah. If you think you have to wait till later for a promotion to be a leader, you're not going to get that promotion. You have to start acting as if... Yeah, as if you have the job. And kind of like circling back to one thing we mentioned about Queen Elizabeth II is even though 
she was young when her father, she was like a kid when her father took the crown. Yeah. She began acting as if she would one day be queen. And that's kind of how you must act in all things so that your brain, your subconscious is like, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. You know, it's so important. It's sort of like telling yourself stories, too. If I tell myself a story, the story that I tell myself, whatever that might be, eventually I start to believe it. And then I'm like, what was the was that the real story? Or was I just telling myself <laughs> to pump up? Yeah. <laughs> All, one last thing, because I know we've got to wrap up, yeah. is remember that fear and excitement are the same. Roxy, this is the funniest story. When Roxy went on her very first Upside Down, sorry, Roxy went on their very first Upside Down roller coaster at the Rockin' Roller Coaster at Disney. I like looks at her and I'm like, are you scared? And Roxy went, yeah, kind of. And I said, well, you know, and she, <laughs> Roxy went, yes, I know. Excitement is the same as fear. <laughs> Funny that they remember that I say that all the time. But just remember that there's butterflies, that nervousness, that like wondering how it's going to be. Excitement, like choose excitement instead of fear. And that's what I'm doing now. And actually it was showing on me yesterday. I went to my massage therapist and he was like, you look so happy. And I didn't get into it, but I was like, I know it's because now I'm excited instead of fear. Like I was coming yeah. across yeah. and he could just see it in my aura that now that I've made this decision, which I haven't even closed, I'm about to get on the phone with the salesperson in a little bit and close with him. Now I'm excited instead of fear, but it's the same. Okay. Well, we are going to end the show on that. Change your fear to excitement and have a fun fail. Have a fun don't just have a fun fail. Share the fun fail. I'd love to hear your fun fails. It's a new Hashtag thing. fun fail. Hashtag fun fail. You heard it here for the first time. We have to wrap up because as usual, I'm rushing to a sales call and you're rushing to a sales call to, to buy something. So thank you, Warners, for listening to this episode. I don't know what we're calling it yet, but... It's going to be something fun. I'm Gina Tremarco. Rachel Pitts is here coming back. She'll be with her crown and all. Check it out on YouTube if you want to watch this because our facial expressions and this crown is pretty spectacular. To up-level your sales game, go check out salesgravy.university. At salesgravy.university, you will find over 200 courses, both live and self-paced including some that I've created that it will up-level you in your sales game. So go check that out. And thank you to Sales Gravy for sponsoring this show. For more information about the women your mother warned you about, check out the women your mother warned you about.com. See you next time, Rachel. Bye, Warners. Bye, everybody. Bye.